Welcome to the worst nightmare of all. Reality. Explore the lesser-known stories of our unknown world. Join the pursuit of the paranormal with Ash and Greg. Welcome to this week's episode. This week we are joined by Dr. Anne Winsper, co-founder of the Power Science website, powerscience.org.uk, and long-time paranormal investigator, researcher, all them different things. So thank you, Anne. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you for thank inviting you. me. So before we start, do you want to give us a bit of a background, a bit of an origin story? How did you first get interested into the whole paranormal field? I've always been interested ever since I was a child. Uh, I had some very unusual experiences as a teenager. I had lots of premonitions. Um, and that, on top of the interest, just propelled me into wanting to look at what was going on, what all these strange paranormal things were. Um, I met Steve and we obviously started Parascience. Uh, and we started trying to approach the subject in a more scientific manner uh, rather than people just running around saying, ooh, there's a ghost. We were getting a bit sick of that. So we started going to academic conferences where basically they completely ignored us as, oh, they're just the ghost hunters. We don't take any notice of them, which annoyed me intensely. So I went out and got a psychology degree and I did my main thesis looking at electronic voice phenomena. Uh, and then when I started going to the conferences, they said, oh, have you started your PhD yet? <laughs> so I thought, oh, God. So I went out <laughs> and got a PhD as well, also looking at electronic voice phenomena. <laughs> and wow. they do they do listen to me now, but it has been quite a hard slog trying to do academic stuff while keeping up the ghost hunting and having a full-time job in the NHS as well. <laughs> busy, busy. <laughs> So how long has it been, roughly, since you started like the whole power science and sort of taking it, looking at it in that way? Oh, blimey. We started parascience the best part of 30 years ago now. Um, there, there have been quite a lot of really good, interesting scientific work done looking at ghosts, but obviously the field changed dramatically, particularly with the advent of social media. And it changed and it stopped being serious people sitting in libraries and doing experiments to people running around haunted houses going, oh, there's a portal to the underworld. Now, I have no problem with people doing that for fun. That's great. Have a spooky night out, frighten yourselves. But it is not research and it is not contributing anything to the field at all. So that's where I'm coming from. I have no particular views about whether there's life after death, whether the things we see are dead people, whether it's all in our mind, whether there's something else going on, we can affect the world in some strange way that we don't know about yet. I really don't know. For me, it's the thrill of the chase. I want to know what's going on. I want to investigate it. I want to know what's happening. I've had plenty of unusual experiences, and I just want to know what they were. I have no particular, well, I was going to say interest, but obviously I have an interest, but it doesn't bother me where the answer comes out, as long as I find an answer. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm a sceptic with a K. Um, I like to try and walk down a middle road. Uh, I've even found in some of my research that if you're a really, really big paranormal believer, then you're likely to misinterpret things. If you're a really strong self-professed sceptic, you're also likely to misinterpret things just the other way. You need to take the middle road and be open to everything, listen to everything, explore everything and investigate everything, because that's the only way we're going to find anything. The sad thing is we haven't actually come up with a proper theory yet about what a ghost or a haunting might be. 
which again is a frustration because the first thing you need to do is come up with a theory and test it and no one's yet come up with a really good theory about what we should be testing. It's also something it's almost impossible to test in a laboratory because you're completely changing the conditions and you've got to be in that field outside while something's happening to look at it as soon as you put it into a laboratory you've completely changed everything all the conditions people's expectations everything that's going on around so you know they make might give us some clues as to what isn't the paranormal but it's never going to help us with what is the paranormal i don't think well i just wanted to quickly go back to your doctorate and um the fact that you were doing it on evps so when when you're approaching like the professors and whatnot uh, and discussing what your thesis is going to be about what kind of reaction did you get because obviously that's not necessarily a normal kind of i say normal in the the, the wider public's normal um kind of research thesis so what what kind of reaction I, did you get? I was lucky to start with because I started doing my PhD under Paul Rogers uh, up at the University of Central Lancashire, who happened to be a friend of mine and happened to be doing paranormal studies at the university at the time. Plus my oh. other supervisor was someone that I'd studied under at Liverpool, John Moores doing signal detection theory, which I said at the time I would never do again because it was all physics and I absolutely loathed it and it turned out to be the basis <laughs> of most of my PhD. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, one of my supervisors retired and the other one left, at which point the university tried very, very hard to make me change tack and do something completely different that wasn't paranormal. Luckily for me, I was self-funding. So I just refused point blank and said, it's not going to happen. The only reason I'm here is to do this. And I think they just rolled their eyes and thought, well, if we let her get on with it, she'll go away eventually. <laughs> she'll either give up or get the PhD and either way we'll be shut off it. So, I mean, obviously places like Northampton, they've got whole anomalous units, which is great because they are totally open to this sort of thing. But your average university, yes, they're really not into it at all and again you've got to make sure you're really skeptical when you're doing study about things like this um we're, we're actually at the moment trying to write up some papers and possibly a book on the research um and paul keeps saying to me you need to put in more about the the evp people and said yes but i kept being told not to put anything about evp people in because it wasn't scientific and we don't agree agree with it so, <laughs> in some ways it's nice to be out of academia because i can just do my own thing yeah so did you find that uh in the academic field that they were just completely shut off to do anything paranormal or or apart from the the, the people uh, at the start they're not shut off to the paranormal in that they're willing to look at it but only from a viewpoint that they want to prove that it doesn't exist okay um but having said that i've spoken to many famous skeptics over the years and if you give them a pint and sit them down in a corner they've all had experiences <laughs> they would just never admit it in public <laughs> <laughs> that's frustrating it's a persona isn't it they put them they've become this i am the skeptic and they get called to do the tele interviews the newspaper interviews as the skeptic so they're stuck there now they can't ever come mm. out of that role have you noticed any sort of change in the mainstream acceptance of the paranormal in the past 30 years since you've started doing this Yes, from the point of view that it's almost become cool now to have a ghost or to have an experience. Um, one of the things that I noticed with the EVP was 
there's always been people who say they're mediums. I mean, I've met a few who have been quite interesting in the things they've come out with have not been able to work out how they do it. But obviously there's always been people who speak to the dead and pass on messages. Now I've noticed that obviously most of us can't do that. Um, but another way of saying you can talk to the dead is to use EVP. Look, I talk to the dead. Listen, they're talking to me. So it's it's almost like... Um, Sorry, you have to excuse me. I can't think of words at the moment. I've had a migraine all week and half my words have fallen out of my brain. But it's almost like, um, I don't want to say, look at me, aren't I great? I can talk to the dead. But it's sort of going down that path. And it's a way for ordinary people who don't have mediumistic abilities to go, well, look, I can talk to the dead now as well. So it's gone beyond people saying, I've got a ghost in my house, which... Let's face it, if you read the papers, virtually every house in Britain has now got its own ghost sitting there haunting. But it's taken that one step further and we've not only got ghosts, but we can talk to them in real time as well. So how good as of a tool has your research found EVP to be? Um, in panel investigations? Well, again, unfortunately, I couldn't actually look at using it as a proper tool to talk to the dead. I could only use it in are these people showing any commonalities? Um, are they prone to hallucinations? You know, all the rest of it. Do they have strange things going on in their heads? Um, and actually, they don't really. Um, <laughs> it was a bit of a weird PhD because it wasn't proving things do happen, it was proving things didn't. Um, but it sort of built on what I did in my undergrad study, where again, I found that if you're a sceptic, you just refuse to believe anything, including what's in front of your face. If you're a complete believer, you believe in everything, even if it's not there. But if you're an open-minded person, you can actually pick up on exactly what's going on. I did look at some work um, looking at brain laterality as part of this as well, because there's been some studies looking at um, your brain laterality and whether you're left-handed or right-handed and whether you're a bit of both, so to speak, and whether that affects, you know, whether you're more likely to hear EVPs or not. I mean, it took me seven years to do it, but I've literally just scratched the surface of a massive, massive field. So I'm fairly sure that there's something in EVP. I don't think there's anything whatsoever in people running around with ghost boxes that are scanning through radio frequencies saying the ghosts are stopping it on certain words and making a mess message. I really do not believe that in any way, shape or form. However, there are some anomalous things that are turning up on recordings. Um, we did say a few years ago we were going to actually do this properly, but we haven't had time to get round to the studies yet. I've got everything ready now. I just need to start doing it because collecting EVP was never a case of running round a haunted house and going, is there anybody there? Is there a portal to the underworld? You sat down at a regular time on the regular day, every week, and you conversed and you asked questions. And eventually, after six months maybe, you'd start to get messages coming back. So that's now that I'm away from having to prove that it really doesn't exist, I want to start showing that there might be something there. I'm trying to find out what it is under control conditions because control conditions are very, very hard to create as well um i've taken part in a few experiments done by other people um and the experiment might be set up quite well they're using faraday cages they have control for all sorts of things but then they listen through they come out with some things and say can i send you these files because i think we've got something and you say yep send them over and all the files come with woman screaming yes <laughs> dot wav and you're like okay i'm just going to throw that in the bin because there's absolutely no point in listening to it now i just need to have 
a file with no clue as to what it is and what's going on, and then I can listen to it and try and make some sort of objective judgment on it. Yeah, I think as soon as somebody says, can you, like sometimes when I'm watching videos on YouTube and it it says the word that you're expecting to hear or they're expecting you to hear, that's what you that's what you hear regardless. So it's, it is, most, it's in, sorry, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say one of the most frustrating things about the whole PhD was I could not get sceptics to take part at all. I had loads of EVP practitioners take part. They were really, really helpful. Some of them even gave me help on how to set up the studies, the right questions to ask people. Bless them, they all sat there for hours with headphones on, listening to sound clips and making notes. They were brilliant, but the sceptics just would not take part at all. Wow. Which was why, very Did they give any reason why? Um... Some of them did it. actually say, well, some of them repeated the sentence that made me want to look at it in the first place, which is, why bother looking at it? It doesn't exist, <laughs> which is what made me start looking at it, because that was just such a ridiculous statement to make. That's um, a great title for a thesis as well. <laughs> some of well, at least one of the more famous ones when I asked him got a look of absolute panic on his face, which I interpreted as, no, I'm not going to take part and nor are any of my students because you might find it's true and then my whole career's down the pan. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's a fair point. But yeah. yes, it's so, very, very frustrating. Yeah, definitely. Because um, I've I've watched and looked into the the skull experiment where you mentioned about doing stuff on the same time, same day, um, and the skull experiment was a bit a bit like that. Did has that been part of your research to look into to what the, those people did during that time? Or yeah, uh, the, there's been at least one replication since as well. Um, again, this is one of the things when when things like that happen, mm-hmm. is it something external or are people actually creating something from themselves from the group from the mind um yeah no it's one of the things we see in hauntings um what another thing that i did want to do a study on and possibly my phd but i had to not do it because i couldn't think of an ethical way of doing it was looking at um when people are undergoing great emotion, uh, things mm. seem to happen around them. There has yeah. been one or two studies that suggest it might actually be a change in emotional state rather than the great emotion, but I've seen it loads of times. Someone gets really angry about something and things start jumping off shelves and things start to appear in the background and yeah. voices start to be heard. So there's... There, there is something to say that there may well be some sort of interaction with the human mind. The problem is, again, we can't come up with a theory for it. How can something that doesn't exist in a solid form interact with solid things? There just isn't a mechanism for that. But it seems to we, happen. We, we, yeah, we, we've been talking on some of our episodes about different Portgeist cases and they tend to centre around girls going through puberty and that there's an emotional sort of change within them and that seems to centre around them and only goes on for a couple of years while they go through puberty. And um, So it's interesting that you mention about the, the sort of change in emotions because it definitely seems to, to point to the stuff we've been talking about in previous podcasts um, to to that having some kind of uh, manifestation of uh, of some kind of phenomena, whatever that, that may be. So it's, it's interesting that you, you talk about that. And I, I, I did like the Skull Experiment. I, I've watched a couple of documentaries on it. Um, what, what were your thoughts on that? Do you, do you think they were managing to, to communicate with the, the other side, as it were? Again, I'm not convinced they were 
communicating with the other side as such. Um, they'd certainly created something. There was something yeah. going on there. Um, yeah. So I was and, completely I'm fascinated quite by doubtful it. Yeah. about, you know, the other side communicating. But for me yeah. personally, I have trouble getting my head round why on earth they would want to, mm-hmm. how on yeah. earth they could do it. But there was certainly something happening during those experiments and in later replications as well. Have you thought about the um the possibility that some of this phenomena is based not on paranormal but on say multi-dimensional or somebody from another sort of time as such communicating managing to communicate with us because uh, we definitely. we've we've yeah we've spoken to a lot of people about paranormal about ufos um uh, and UAPs, and th- that's a recurring theme as well, that people talk about multidimensional communication beings or, or the fact that we can see stuff because they're, they're, they're coming into our dimension, as it were. So you, you possibly think that could be something well, in that? Uh, a, ver- a very smooth link into my other area that I like to look at of time slips. <laughs> yeah, brilliant, well, yeah where people um, not only seem to see people and events in a different time, but they actually often communicate with them. And I know of at least one instance that I personally know about and have been involved in where somebody brought an object back. Do tell us more. Uh this, the, this was a bit of a strange case. I won't go into all the details because it's very long and convoluted and in some ways a little bit embarrassing because it involved me and Steve being dragged into the case to make um, somebody a saint, a Catholic saint. Okay. <laughs> so it's it's another very long and strange story with all sorts of weird coincidences. <laughs> but, um as part of this story, there was a lovely couple that we were involved with who were the main people pressing to get this um, mystic. She was a mystic, made a saint. Um, she's actually buried in Neston in Cheshire, so just down the road from me. Um, I, I pop over to visit her in the graveyard <laughs> on occasion. <laughs> with a voice recorder, I hope. <laughs> Do you know what? We have actually heard strange things in the church because there have been hauntings um, or apparent hauntings in the church, but there were lots and lots of unusual experiences around this lady. Um, She could bilocate. She showed the stigmata. um, Wow. Ghostly presences would turn up. There were a whole raft of unusual experiences. Um, she lived in Bootle in Liverpool for a while and she actually got the nickname of the Devil Woman of Bootle because the devil used wow. to visit her nightly and there'd be all sorts of shaking and shrieking and people were terrified and they basically drummed her out and wouldn't let her back again. So there's, oh, wow. there's books about it. It's a fascinating, fascinating story. Um we, we sort of got involved with a purpose, but um, anyway, that's one of the, that's another strange thing in the story. But the people okay. who were involved in the case to make her a saint, they were an absolutely lovely couple, Gladys and her husband, Tony. They were the nicest people you'll ever meet. They would do anything for anyone. They would always give you loads of cups of tea and pieces of cake and all sorts. And one of the things that happened to them uh, there used to be lots and lots of pilgrims going to the church to visit the grave of Teresa. Uh, like whole coach loads would turn up so they could wow. touch the grave. There were stories of miracle cures. There's been all sorts going on around it. And they had little um, prayer sheets that they used to give out to the pilgrims who came to the grave. And then one day an Australian lady turned up and said, oh, can I have one of the leaflets? And this disembodied voice said between Gladys and Tony, yes. <laughs> now, once the lady had gone, 
Tony said to Gladys, I have no idea what you said that for because we haven't got any leaflets left. And she said, but I never <laughs> said a word. I didn't say anything. Wow. So they went home. Um, Tony went off to take the kids to football. Gladys put the dinner on and she said this feeling came over her and something was saying to her, go and open the desk. So she went over to the writing desk, opened the lid and the little prayer book they had in there shot out. She said it didn't fall out, it shot out across the room and out of it dropped two of the leaflets that they needed. <laughs> and at the bottom of the leaflets, it had the address of the printer who'd originally printed them. And it was in Kensington in Liverpool. So the following Saturday, they both drove over thinking, well, we'll find the printing dies and we'll get some more printed. Job done, we can give them out to the pilgrims. Um, it took them a while to find the house because uh, Kensington was being rebuilt and redeveloped at the time. So there was lots of roadworks and stuff. But when they finally found the street, every single house had been demolished and they all had weeds growing out. They'd obviously been demolished for some time, but there was one house left standing. They described it. If he'd coughed on it, it would have fallen down. <laughs> so they went over to the house. It had some steps at the front, and it was all dust. You could just see their footprints. And there was a little board over the doorway, and there was like a counter on the other side. So they looked through into the house, and then this little man appeared by the counter, and he said, oh, I've been expecting you. I found the printing dies that you were after, and I've got them ready for you. And he put his hands out with these dies in and Gladys took hold of them, looked down and looked up saying, oh, thank you very much. And he'd gone. <laughs> so they looked at each other and said, we'll just go home now. <laughs> so they got in the car and the dies were wrapped in paper and string and it all started disintegrating while they were driving home. But obviously oh. they still had the dies. So when... Tony went into work uh, on the Monday. He said to one of his workmates, oh, I was over by you at the weekend. Um, and his friend said, uh, don't be stupid. There's nothing there. He said, oh, I was visiting someone. And his friend was saying to everyone in work, oh, be careful of him. He sees things. So Tony said, right, I'll give you a lift home and we'll go that way and I'll show you where we went. So he gave him a lift, went to where they'd been, and, of course, there was no house there. It was just rubble and had been rubble for quite some time. Wow. Now, there were other things that happened with these dyes, but one thing, I actually set up a website. Um, Steve got hold of all these leaflets, and I got some as well off Gladys. Uh, I scanned them all. I set up a website. I put them on the website because Gladys and Tony were, like, getting on a bit at this point they just they couldn't manage all this so i said right put them on the website so you don't need to print them or anything anymore because people can just go on the website and download them for themselves then tony died um i went to his funeral spoke to gladys and a few weeks later she said oh can i have the printing die back I said well I haven't got the printing die we were around at yours a few months ago when we held the die and we talked about it again and about the story, but we didn't take it. We left it with you and you put it in a box with the rest of the stuff. And, of course, the die had completely disappeared and was never seen oh. again, vanished. So we sort of think that maybe because we put the leaflets online, the dies weren't needed anymore. So they went back to this mysterious place that appeared from. I feel so silly telling this story because it's completely against any sceptical rules, but it happened. It genuinely happened. <laughs> it's funny you, should, <laughs> funny you should say that. We, the, the kind of topics that we cover, I, I tell people sometimes what the episode's going to be about, and I, I struggle to even say it because the, the sceptic in me... It's like, how is this even possible? And we, me and Ash talk offline and go, look, if only 1% of this is true, that this person has just told us of this experience that they've had, that's phenomenal. Just the 1%, and we're listening to the whole thing, and it's like fantastical sort of experience these people have had. And it, it is difficult at times. The sceptic in me is just like, 
speechless sometimes. To be honest, but... we we didn't tell anyone about any of the Teresa story for years because we just used to look at each other and say, we can't tell anyone. Any... I mean, like I said, what I've just told you is only a fraction of the whole story, but yeah, we just said we cannot tell people, but eventually I said, look, I'm going to have to start telling people because we need to get the story out there. And, <laughs> and every time great... I, tell, I talk about it, something weird happens afterwards. So I'm waiting to see what today's weird happening will be. However, we have weird happenings, yeah. So hopefully it does on, on here, yeah. There yeah, are so many more. different types as well. Um, the one I've just told you, I call it a time slip because they were actually interacting with someone. Um, there are, I've got loads of examples where people are interacting with a scene from the past, but we also have one example where. We only know something unusual happened looking back on it afterwards. Um, it happened at a church we used to go to, which, again, had a reputation for being haunted. And we used to pop out there occasionally. It's in the middle of the Cheshire countryside. It's literally in the middle of nowhere. It's just surrounded by fields and nothing else. Um, and this particular day... Um, the people who were there, there was a child there as well who was getting a bit bored because it is just a church in the middle of a field with nothing to do. So she was told to go and run round the church and she disappeared at one corner of the church and reappeared at the opposite corner almost instantaneously. Wow. Um, everyone thought, okay, maybe we've all just had a funny turn and we didn't take any notice. So she was asked to run round again and she ran round as fast as she could and it took about eight seconds to run round. So there was definitely something strange, but as you do, everyone went, oh, that's just something we probably just misinterpreted it. But then there was a tape recorder that was started and the tape recorder was put down in the doorway to the church. It started recording. And people walked round to the side of the church and it started raining. So they walked straight back again, turned the tape recorder off, got into the car, started driving home. At which point one of, one of the group said, let's put the tape on and see if there's any EVP on it. So the tape was put on and the tape went on and on and on. And it was just the sounds of, you know, the birds and the trees rustling in the wind. I thought, this is really odd because it was only recording for about two minutes. <laughs> so the tape was looked at afterwards and it goes on, I can't remember how long for now, it goes on for quite some considerable time just with the sounds of the countryside so, of course, first thought was because it was on actual tape. Yeah. We didn't have, we couldn't afford all the digital recorders in those days. Uh, we thought, well, maybe it was wrong sort of tape, you know, mixing up C30s and C90s, but no, it was right. Played back at the right speed. We recorded further on on it. It recorded at the right speed. There was nothing wrong with the recorder. But it's the fact that it actually records, I think it's about 20 minutes of sounds going on around it, but definitely only recorded for about two minutes because you can hear the, somebody putting the recorder down and saying, right, we'll start it, and then going back. So, oh, no. so that really is sort of time with the two things going weird as opposed to people seeing people from the past and interacting with them, which could be called a ghost experience. There's some sort of, I guess, continuum between what's a ghost and what's a time slip. I always look at it, it's probably the scale of it. If your entire surroundings look totally different, you're possibly having a time slip. If there's one bloke who walks through the wall, it's probably a ghost, but that's just my definition. <laughs> I've got reports of people seeing an area in Liverpool how it possibly was a hundred odd years ago and walking right up the middle of the road, which was cobbled 
And when they get to the top of the road and turn round, it's modern day and there's cars and buses going up and down. And you think, why weren't they run over <laughs> walking up the middle of the road? Mm. Why weren't the people shouting, what are you doing walking up the middle of the road? Wow. So these time slips, is that people from like today going back there, stepping them in time rather than the the shop or whatever coming into our time? Um, it tends to be, particularly with shops and things, people walk into a shop and it suddenly looks as it used to be or people walk past a shop and go, that shop was there 20 years ago. Um However, I haven't got one myself, but there have been reports of people going into shops that look old-fashioned, trying to pay with modern money, being told, what's that you're trying to pay me with? Because obviously that it's modern money. It's not something they recognise. There's been a... Sorry. I was just going to say there's been a very few instances of forward time slips, but they are. That was my next question. That was my (laughs) next. That was. I was just about to interrupt you and say, yeah, what about future time slips or forward time slips? Yeah, there have been a few. There was a pilot um, who was flying over an airfield that he knew very well, and it looked completely different, and it was shiny silver buildings and looked absolutely nothing like it should have um we that was always interpreted as a forward time slip because there was certainly nothing like that there in the past um but they are very few and far between most of them seem to be backwards ones what's interesting though is the fact that people are interacting with other people in these backwards time slips So people will go, oh, look at him, he looks funny, he's got a top hat and a cane, but the person they're looking at will be looking at them, sort of, they look really strange. But I haven't found any records of anyone actually documenting. I was walking down to Mrs Smith's to pick up my latest instalment of Dickens' novel and I saw this really strange person in front of me. The holy grail for me, I think, is CCTV. If somebody can report being in a time slip and I can get hold of CCTV at the time. Now, I have one that was almost there, um, which actually happened to me. (laughs) Eventually, if you investigate something for long enough, it'll happen (laughs) to you. Um, We were actually in the Netherlands. Um, We'd gone over there for the... um, 500th anniversary of the death of Hieronymus Bosch because I'm a huge Hieronymus Bosch fan and they had virtually all his remaining paintings and drawings in the museum and they had statues and they had parades and they had virtual reality and it's fantastic we were staying in a hotel right on the main square right by where he lived Um, and one morning I was looking out of the window and there was a parade coming up one of the side streets, there was people dressed up and music and you could see people with instruments. I grabbed my husband and went, there's a parade, I want to go see the parade. And he was like, oh God, not another one. I dragged him downstairs and of course when we got downstairs there was absolutely nothing there at all, not a thing. Um, I did try and take some photos at the time but because I was trying to get out they didn't really come out. So I've got some photos from the same window of the same place, but obviously not photos of the exact thing. But I would swear to this day that I saw a parade, but there wasn't one. (laughs) So what is your take on what you think time slips are? Because if if people go into the past, I kind of get that there could be some kind of like a almost like stone tape theory of paranormal activity where the, the residual area has got some kind of energy. But if people are potentially time slipping forwards, that kind of doesn't cover that. I don't think because residual energy happened. covers it anyway because people okay. are interacting. Yeah. You know, that okay, you could say, well, it's all it's all in their mind, they're making it yeah. up, but 
you know, we have got these cases where people have not only interacted, but sort of got objects from the interaction. Yeah. So it's such a fascinating sort of area, especially like you just said, if people have got objects and have been able to to physically get something from that. That's yeah, they're, not, they're not always accurate. I've got one mm. from Thingwall on the Wirral, um, where mm. a lady had moved to a new area and went for a walk with her daughter one day, not long after moving in, um, and thought, oh, what a beautiful area. It's cobbled streets, this road and going down. There were houses each side, little cottages with flowers. She could, she waved to a bloke who was leaning on his gate. He waved back at her. Um, there was a little girl who ran into the house and she could feel the heat coming out from the kitchen range. She got to the end of the street. There was a gate and just fields the other side of it. Uh, about a month later, her mum came to visit and she said, oh, I'll show you. It's beautiful here. And she walked onto the road and it looked absolutely nothing like she'd seen last time she walked there. And at the end of the road, it wasn't fields. It was housing estate. <laughs> and... There couldn't have been an entire housing estate built in that time. I know they throw them up quickly these days, but not that quick and have people living in them. And when she looked at the maps, I think it was the 1830 tithe map she might have looked at, and she could see that all the cottages she'd seen were on this map. So it was as if she was back in that time period. But one thing she did mention was a big pile of stones on the side and looking into that, that was the remains of Thingwall Mill, which had been destroyed, but that wasn't destroyed till the early 1900s, by which point the cottages weren't there as she'd seen them. So it was like she was seeing two different time periods in one, but she was interacting with people while she was there. So you mentioned Bowl Street in Liverpool before, and that's quite a famous street for time slips and and the like do you have a theory as to why sort of maybe one place has more of these occurrences than other places or is it just just because maybe bull street is famous for it people might see stuff that's not really there in their heads if you know what i mean i think or is there something about that street that makes it weird i think nowadays we do run the risk of people going oh it's bold street we'll see a time slip because there have been so many there but certainly a lot of the people I originally spoke to, they hadn't ever told anyone else about their experience because they basically thought everyone would say they were mad. Uh, you know, I had people in their 70s phoning up saying, look, I've never told anyone this before, but I heard you mention time slip, so I'm going to tell you something that happened to me. Now, why does a cluster in that area? I really wouldn't know. We wondered at first whether it was something to do with the underground railway that goes round there, you know, was there some sort of effect going on? But I don't think it is because we get so many other time slips in different areas that obviously don't have the same circumstances. There's a cluster, maybe it's just one of those things, just coincidence that there have been lots of reports in the past from that one area, but there does certainly seem to be a cluster there. It's a very historic place, maybe that's got something to do with it. Again, nowadays you've got to be careful because there's lots of film studios filming there, so you have to be careful you're not going, there's a Hanson cab and it's the latest Sherlock Holmes or something. The same in Chester. Every single time you go into Chester, it's like, is that a Roman centurion or is that a Chester tour? You're never quite sure. (laughs) But that's the nature of it with ghosts. People see ghosts more often than we think, and it's only if one does something unusual in front of you, like it disappears or walks through a wall, that you know it's a ghost. I not thought about that, really. (laughs) There's a very fam- there was a very famous paranormal investigator who apparently was stood at a bar once talking to someone who disappeared in front of them, which was the point they went, oh, I think I've been talking <laughs> to the ghost. Because <laughs> well, unless they do something odd, you'd never know. Hmm. That's true, that's true. Yeah, so talking about Ball Street and like a cluster, one area, has there been any 
have you looked into whether like there's other occurrences of other paranormal things? Because there's areas around the world where you'll have UFO sightings, skinwalkers, Bigfoot sightings, all in sort of one area. So is there anything sort of like that about Ball Street that you found that could be where there's hauntings, there's time slips, there's UFO sightings all in that same sort of area? I must admit, I tend not to follow UFO sightings only because every single one we've ever looked at has turned out to be someone with issues rather than a UFO. Um, As an example, there was a chap over in Liverpool we went to visit who said the UFOs came every night. We thought, brilliant, we've got to see this. And it was actually birds in the tree in his back garden. And anyone that I've looked at has been along the same line. So I tend not to look at UFOs. And I'm not an expert in it. It's not my specialised subject. So, you know, I couldn't tell you if there's been lots of UFO sightings. I don't think there have been, though, because I think I would have heard about it. Certainly nowadays, the local papers are absolutely chock full of Liverpool's most haunted hospital, Liverpool's most haunted building. Liverpool's yeah. most haunted graveyard. So I think if there were UFOs and skinwalkers and yetis, I'd probably know about it by now. You mentioned something before about maybe expecting something to happen, sort of after talking about it. So we spoke to someone recently, and he had where he'd not really talked in public about his experiences that he had for quite a number of years, and then. He talked about it in a public setting, like on a podcast, and then it happened to him. It's like a response to him talking about it. It happened again to him a couple of weeks later. And then we he was talking to us, telling us this, and then he was expecting that maybe, because he's talked about it again, getting it out there, something's manifesting, and that's so he's going to have another experience. Is that something that you've seen where you can manifest experiences or something happening by talking or invoking Oh, it definitely seems to happen. Um, I mean, the sceptical viewpoint would be you've talked about it, so you're noticing it more. But obviously, I'm on high alert most of the time trying to notice things. Um, Obviously, there's coincidences. There's always coincidences. But, um, yeah, it does seem to be that talking about something seems to trigger something and subsequent things happen afterwards and I really haven't worked out why yet it's it's a bit of a weird one I definitely wouldn't put it down to oh you're just noticing it more um well certainly I wouldn't say that in my case anyway I mean I'll, I'll give you an example of something weird that happened after our nun who's buried in nesting case we were going to see Gladys one day and we were driving through um the roads towards Neston because she lives in Neston and we were coming up to Clatterbridge and we were going down the little roads and there was a cyclist in front of us and he was a typical middle-aged guy in lycra (laughs) riding down the road I can say that now and slag them off because my son's one of them now but um, (laughs) we were stuck behind him for absolutely ages there was nowhere we could overtake and then we finally got to a bit where we could overtake so we overtook and Steve was obviously having one of his moments because he leant out of the window looked at the guy and shouted abuse at him because he hadn't managed to get past him so I was going I can't believe you've just done that he was just cycling down the road (laughs) So we carried on across Clatterbridge roundabout, went down towards Neston, went down one of the small roads, and the cyclist was in front of us again. Now, we know those roads like the back of our hands. There is no way a cyclist could have got in front of us. And we know it was the same guy because Steve stuck his head out of the window again to have a look because he'd stuck his head out and looked at the first guy and knew exactly what he looked like. And this was the same guy. We are like, yeah, either this guy's got a twin or unusual things have started happening again and it's only little things like that but they keep cropping up all the time and they crop up too often and they're too unusual for you to just pass them all off as coincidence so um, was there any kind of look on the cyclist's face 
that suggested that they would uh, they were experiencing the same sort of thing. Not that I'm aware of, but I was too busy trying to drive away really quickly in case it came <laughs> after us and started kicking the car. Go, it's you two. <laughs> Again, a lot of these things you don't even necessarily realise they're unusual until afterwards either. Hmm. Um, I mean, I know people are really bad at spotting what's going on around them. I've seen enough videos as part of my psychology training of people walking into shops that are on fire and going, well, everyone else is queuing, I'll just queue and pretend I haven't seen it. And obviously the famous gorilla on the netball court that nobody sees. Have you seen that one? Yeah. yeah we have to count how many times they're you passing the ball. You have to count how many times people yeah. are passing the ball between them. And because you're uh, concentrating so hard on it, you don't notice the guy in the gorilla suit walk in front of you. So oh, yeah. I know these things happen all the time, but mm, I think unusual things seem to happen slightly more frequently than I would expect. I mean, you know, I could be totally wrong, but certainly the things that happen make you step back and go, gosh, that was really unusual. So obviously you have quite a scientific approach to the whole phenomena. Is there any, any sort of single bit of evidence that you've managed to get which you would say, or a case where you'd say, if I had to give one bit of evidence or anecdote, this would be the one that I would show to a sceptic or whoever? I think I'd probably have two. One visual and one audio. Um, the visual one was a photo from the National Waterways Museum in Ellesmere Court, um, we spent quite a few years there. We spent hundreds and hundreds of hours there. And there's an area upstairs in the museum where people never liked to sit. Uh, they always felt a bit uncomfortable. Uh, we sat there one night and felt cold columns of air walking round us. It was a bit strange, but um, you could probably explain that one away. But this particular area that nobody liked... Um, we took some mediums round just to see what they said because they've come in really useful even for things like electromagnetic fields in the past. Um, and they reached this area and they said, oh, oh, I'm getting death and chains. And went, okay, well, we'll make a note of it. Then we were taking some photographs just for reference because we were going to try and build a 3D model um, of the museum on the computer so we could pinpoint exactly where things are happening. And one of the photos, when we looked at it, has got a figure of a man on it. Um, he's got his sleeves rolled up. He fades out at the knees and he's got, do you remember the old coal men who used to have like sacking going down the neck, protecting their neck at the back? He's got that on. And he's quite clear to see, and he's in this exact same spot that nobody liked sitting in where the mediums had said coal and chains. So we actually showed it to the museum, um, and they wanted to put it in the paper, obviously, because they wanted publicity. But also, they'd been in the, in the basement um, trying to sort out some stuff, and they'd unearthed this plaque, and the plaque was to a guy called Samuel, who 100 years, almost to the day, had been killed on the coal loading bay, which is exactly that spot where we got the photo and where nobody liked being and where the mediums had said coal and chains. And the chain had actually whipped round his neck and strangled him and killed him on that spot 100 years previously. <laughs> So that was quite interesting. <laughs> Definitely, if you've got like a photo and you've got that historic sort of data to to sort of com almost and confirm. Nobody knew about this until it was after we'd shown them the photo. It was a few days later. They were then in the basement and found this plaque because everyone had forgotten about it years ago. No one working there at the time knew anything about it. So, yeah. And the other one was an audio one. Um, we were in a former school 
where a number of things had happened. And it was the middle of the night. And suddenly the whole place sounded like it was full of children running up and down and singing and making playground sounds. Um, we had quite a few recorders at the time. Um, we managed to triangulate that the sound was definitely coming from within the building. There was definitely nobody else in the building. We tried running up and down outside making noise to see if it was, you know, even though we triangulated it, we thought maybe it's coming in from outside. And the only thing that we could conclude was that it was coming from inside the building and it was the sound of children running up and down and playing and singing recorded on about seven different recording devices and heard by about 12 people simultaneously. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's why I keep looking. <laughs> Things happen. <laughs> Not very often, but they do occasionally happen. Yeah. Love it. Do you think that there's places where, like, you hear a lot of, like, say, the most haunted house or... This this particular place is haunted, and and there've been like a tragedy there, or been a lot of deaths in that place. Do you think that that is a reason why there's a lot of like negative energy, or there's a lot of bad things happening in that place? It's more likely to have strange things going on. Theoretically, um, you know, if if nothing's ever happened anywhere and everything's always been peaceful and calm and quiet, then why would there be anything there? You know, if there wasn't anything there in the past, why would there be anything there now? But it's really, really difficult nowadays because there are so many groups coming out with so much so-called evidence that it's absolutely impossible to sort the wheat from the chaff now. Um, Stanley Palace in Chester I started going there when I was about six. I used to do piano recitals and piano exams there. And there were always two ghosts, uh, one of which was a white lady that used to come down the corridor. And I've sat in that place for hours and hours and hours and hours and I've never seen her. <laughs> but most haunted went there. And now it's got about 26 ghosts that appear regularly. It's, you know, <laughs> It's heartbreaking, really, because yeah. the whole field is just, as I said before, I've got nothing against people going for a spooky night out and having a bit of fun. But all this legends that's being built up in places of things that just have never existed until people start running through, finding portals to the underworld, it's, it's just making it impossible to try and find out exactly what is going on. Good point, good point. Is there anything you're working on at the minute that you, you could share with us, anything you're sort of concentrating on at the minute? At the Research moment, wise. unfortunately, I'm just absolutely buried trying to get all this EVP stuff written up. Um, Paul keeps sending me at least three journal articles a day, and I'm almost on the point of tears now. <laughs> Will you just stop sending me stuff so I can try and read it and write it up? I just can't deal with it anymore. Um, so that's the first thing. We have got a few things on the back burner that obviously got postponed because of COVID. I can't unfortunately talk about them at the moment, um, but we have got some projects that hopefully will restart in the near future. Um, hopefully um, more long-term projects as well. We don't really do hit and runs on places. It's just not worth it. Um, I've never seen the point of sitting overnight in a haunted house if somebody, actually, we always used to say, if somebody says the ghost appears while they're watching Corrie, we need to be there while they're watching Corrie. And we did that once, and the whole family sat down, ate pizza and watched Corrie while we were stood behind them going, we are so hungry, <laughs> it's, it's almost untrue. <laughs> we had to sit there all evening while absolutely nothing happened except they ate pizza and watched Corrie, but anyway... <laughs> 
But places like the Boat Museum, we did hundreds and hundreds of hours there because you need to go somewhere different times of the year, different times of the day, get used to what the building's normally like, what happens around the building, all the environmental factors in the building and outside the building. So you can't, you can't just run in somewhere, spend a night and say, right, I've investigated it. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, very true, very true. So where can our listeners find more about you and your website? Um, you mentioned it before, which was really helpful because I always forget it, parascience.org.uk. And yep. I have now got a Facebook group, which I'm talking slowly so I can try and find this, on time slips, which is called Time Slips, Investigating the Time Slip Phenomenon. And that's on Facebook if anyone wants to join. Awesome. I'll be on there tonight. And hopefully, if people can give their experiences as well. I think there's only two of us so far who have admitted to having an experience. So we need lots more I've, experiences. I've just requested to join the group. Oh, I'll let you on then. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, thank you, Anne, for joining us. It's been a fascinating talk. Thanks for your time. Very much so. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Oh, awesome. Pursuit of the Paranormal with Ash and Greg.